again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. We're pleased to bring you the message from this week's worship service. For more information about this message, this week's teacher, and to watch or see other messages, please visit our website at perimeter.org. We are taught this week by lead teacher Randy Pope. Thank you for joining us today. Let's get into the Word of God and let's, let's see what God has to say. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are so thankful for your church. Thank you for such a, uh, a good church here. How blessed we are to be at this place. Thank you for the health of this church. and uh, Thank you for the, the wonder of so many that love you and serve you. And I pray now that you might serve us in the breaking of your word, that we might, that we might see, understand, apply, and, and find freedom just for the sake, if nothing else, to serve you more faithfully, to love you more. So speak to our hearts. May we worship you in this time of, of learning in spirit and certainly in truth. We commit to you now in the great name of Christ our Savior. Amen. Many of you who have been here for any time have certainly at some point heard me use the analogy of, of golf, uh, grip, posture, and alignment, and they relate to the three beliefs in life that are so critically important, your view of yourself, your view of God, and your view of the world. If you have the great grip, posture, and alignment, and nothing else, and you practice hard, you're going to get pretty good. Uh, the reverse is true as well, and that's basically the analogy. Well, those three things, your view of your of yourself, your view of your God, your view of the world, those are so very, very critical. And what's so interesting, I love this series because the series we're in called The Story, which is the gospel, which is in Luke 15, is really about the first two, what I usually call the grip and the alignment. It's your view of self, understanding who we really are, knowing our lost condition is what our text is about, and number two, about the nature of God, who he, who he is. He is a forgiving God. Those two, certainly with an understanding of the world, a good worldview, but if you get those two and you truly understand them as the gospel presents them, what a break in life. We've got an advantage for the good. I'm telling you, we're just a step ahead, and I want you to understand that even clear today because of this text. Now, just so that you understand the parables, some of you are new to the series. Again, there are three parables. The primary audience are the religious leaders called scribes and Pharisees. And here is the, he's trying to explain to them the truth of God's ways, what we call the gospel, his goodness in life. And so what he says is this, he says, first, the story of the shepherd and his sheep, 100 sheep. One goes astray, just one, but he leaves the one to go find it, search it out, puts the lost sheep on his shoulder when he finds it, comes home rejoicing. It says, even so the angels of heaven rejoice more over one lost sheep than 99 that don't need repentance. Wow. Secondly, a woman with 10 coins, she loses one coin and she goes on this desperate search, has to find the coin. She does, and she rejoices over finding the coin. Story three. It's the story of a father with two sons. The younger son decides, 
I don't want to be a part of this home. I, I want my inheritance. And so he asks his father for it. The father grants it. And he goes to a distant land. And he gets involved in what's called in the text loose living. And he spends up all of his inheritance. He has nothing left. And he is a Jewish boy is now having to feed swine. And he's eating the food that he is actually to be feeding to the swine. And he says, wow, he, the text says he came to his senses. And he said, what am I doing? The hired hands of my dad are eating far better than I'm eating. I'll go back to dad and I'll just say, hey, you know, would you just hire me? Would you hire me as a, a hired hand? I, I, would you take me back? And so he comes back. The father sees him at a distance and he he says, hey, get ready. My son's coming home. Let's prepare for a great celebration. Kill the, fat, the fatted calf and let's, let's celebrate. When the son comes up, the father, the father grabs his son and he kisses his son. And in that culture, the kiss means forgiveness. He's not done a thing to earn any forgiveness, but he gets forgiveness through the kiss. The father says, hey, get some sandals and put them on my son's feet. The, well, the sandals represented freedom. Saying, son, you're not coming back as a hired hand. You're coming back as my boy. You're coming back into my home. He says, put a robe on him. A robe is honor. He's done nothing honorable, but he's getting, he's getting treated as if he's an honorable one. How can that be? And then to top it all off, he says, Give me a ring. He gets the ring and he puts the ring on his son's finger. The ring is a sign of inheritance. What? Yeah, I'm giving you an inheritance again. You, you blew the other one. Let me give you another inheritance. There is still something in the coffer for you. Well, the elder brother hears all this going on and he's ticked. And he goes to the dad. He says, how can you do this? I've been a good boy. I've not broken the rules. I've been right here at the house. I've been blah, 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 blah. I'm not coming into that house and celebrating with my brother. Uh, this just isn't right. And so he's just, he's just mad. The father urges him, oh, please come. Look, your son was lost and he's been found. He was actually, in a sense, dead. Now he's alive. Let's celebrate. Won't do it. And those are the stories. Now, if you've got the back of the outline where my message outline is, I've done something I never do. I want you to look on the back of it. On the very back, I have now an outline of the whole series so you can kind of put it in perspective. If you've come in new or maybe you've been here and just want to kind of see how it flows. Because we've been looking at four questions, and you'll see those four questions. I'll put them up here on the board, but the four questions are simply these. Number one, what is the story? Two, who needs the story? Three, who will embrace the story? Now, that's what we've done in the first six weeks. Then, last week, we began number four, what happens to those who embrace the story? And we're looking at last week, this week, and now we'll do it again next week. All right? Now, the answer to these, to these questions lead us to a redefining of some very, very important topics. In week one, what is the gospel? Though it didn't come from the text, I wanted to give you a broader biblical perspective of what the gospel is. And we did it through a little outline that we, humanity, lost it all, our goodness, 
and our perfection. That he, Jesus, did it all. He took care of everything we need for our salvation. And thirdly, we, those that follow, we get it all. We get his full righteousness. So once we kind of framed it with that, we could then ask the second question. When we dealt with the second question, as you can see on your outline there, we dealt with the, uh, we dealt with the issue of what is sin? Okay, we understand the gospel. What is sin? So Jesus really had for these, for these religious leaders, he had to redefine sin. He said, look, 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 it's not just breaking rules like you think. It's actually something much bigger. It's relational. It's leaving home. It's leaving the authority of your father. That's what it really is. Then the third week, when we dealt with the third question, we had to see how Jesus redefined repentance. That repentance was not just doing, break, you know, I'm sorry I broke the rules and, and I, you know, I wish I hadn't even done it. I'm, I'm, I'm really sorry. That's important, but Jesus redefines it as, no, it's actually coming home. It's coming back to the love of the Father. It's letting his embrace be enough. And so we work through all of that. Last week, when we started addressing the last question, and that's what happens to those who embrace the story or the authentic gospel? What really happens to them? And we said, well, the answer to that question, based on what we see here, is not what the scribes and the Pharisees thought because they thought that when you get more religion, they don't understand the gospel, it's just more religion, then you get better. You keep the rules more. You become a better elder brother. And what Jesus is going to say is, no, 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 no. That's not what happens. When you embrace the real gospel, you become new. That leads to better, yes, but it's that you become new and you continually experience the kiss of the Father. Do you remember what the kiss is? It's a kiss of forgiveness. It's you continually experience the forgiveness of your God. That's no small deal. I'm doing bad stuff and God is still forgiving I came home, but I still slip away, and I still get forgiven? Uh, yeah, if, if truly in relationship, that's exactly right. Wow. Pretty interesting. So last week, we said, well, let's start last week, and let's look at the first of three descriptions of this new person who embraces the gospel. And this is what we, this is what we shared last week as the first of the three, those who embrace the story know their heavenly father as he really is. And so we jumped into that pretty deep. Now this week we look at number two. Number two is simply this. Those who embrace the story enjoy living with a sense of personal worth. Now this opens up a huge topic to us. Let me kind of set the stage for it. Because what is going to happen here is we have to see a redefining of our personal worth. You know, as well as I know, that if, if you or I were raised in, a, in an environment that we were belittled, we did not fare well. You know that. Nobody does. You know, and some of you and I have experienced this to some degree where 
as a kid, we compare ourselves with others. And we compare and we lose with some. Some of us lose more than other people lose. Look how attractive, look how, at least in, in, in one's own opinion, how unattractive I am. Oh, look how talented they are in their own opinion. I'm, I'm not near that talented. And look how gifted they are in intellect and studies and this, that, and the other. And I'm not. Uh, look and look and look. And it just goes, look how popular they are. Look how everybody loves them. Look how everybody wants to be around them. And people don't want to be around me. And we just live in those environments. And those environments are screaming at us saying, you're not extremely valuable. Comparatively speaking, we don't look at those that we're more. No, we see the people that are way ahead on the pecking order. And we look up always and go, why can I get there? And I'm just not so valuable. And let me tell you, that wreaks havoc in the lives of people. It doesn't lead to good. It leads to insecurity. Insecurity leads to rebellion, often depression, sadness, all kinds of issues of life. And it all roots into our self-worth. We so long for self-worth. We can watch a movie or a television program where the unlovable is loved intensely by the very, very lovable. And it just does something to us. It makes us want to keep viewing and seeing the story. It's just like, wow, unbelievable. I mean, can you imagine here, let's say that you're a very, very, very unattractive male. You're very unpopular. No one is attracted to you for anything that you offer. You're just the no one, nobody. You wonder, will I ever, will I ever not just marry? Will I ever date? Will I ever have anybody even want to go out with me? I'm just a nobody. And, and then the beauty queen who happens to be the most sweet and wonderful, adorable, godly, whatever. I mean, just everything you could imagine in one woman and she comes pursuing you, wanting you to go out with her, wanting you eventually to marry her. And can you imagine anybody saying, nah, I'm not interested. You're a little, you're a little too pretty. I don't like that. <laughs> no, you're way too nice. I don't like that. No, you go, wait, wait, you, you want to go out with me? Are you serious? You want to go... Oh, my goodness. Yeah. It's called irresistible grace. In theology, we use that term. Keep in mind, this is the prince and the king of kings, the adorable of all adorable, the perfect one who comes to us, the rebel, the broken one, the insecure one, the one that's not even been nice to our God and he pursues and says oh I want you oh I want you please come to me I do want you I'll rescue you I'll take it it's just a story beyond all stories it's the greatest story in the history of mankind by many 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 times over that is the story of the gospel now in all three of our passages and we're not looking at specific verses this week. We're looking at the bigger picture of the stories. If you look at each of these three, you will find out that the emphasis is on the importance of the search and the celebration of the finding. 
In each of these three, what you're going to see is there's something of great importance that's missing. The sheep, the coin, the son. There's something missing. Number two, there's the rescue. There's the effort that goes into that shows the importance that it would warrant such a a rescue when you still have so much. Why would you go out to find so little? It's because that little is so very, very, very valuable. And then you see the theme of the celebration, that this, whatever it is that's found, is so valuable, representing lost men and women in each case, is so valuable it warrants a celebration that we would see God celebrating over the finding of who we are, how valuable we must be to him. Now let's make a little contrast here. Let's contrast the the world, the people who embrace the, the thinking of the world, which is really humanism, excluding the thoughts of God, just what man would think outside of God. Here's what those of the world would say. The world would say, I think I'm pretty good, therefore, I'm somewhat valuable. I'm valuable to God because I'm pretty good. Well, the truth of it is, we do kind of think of ourselves as good. Mankind does. If I've talked, I'm going to just take a, just a big guess. 400 times I've used this with non-believing men. I say, hey, would you tell me, what do you think of mankind? Do you think man is good? Or two, do you think he's good with a little bad? Or do you think three, he's bad with a little good? Or do you think he's just bad? Tell me what you think. And, and I've used this many times with you guys. You, hear, you know what everybody says. Virtually everybody, if not everybody. They all say, good with a little bad. That's just the general response. Good with a little bad. Totally contrary to the teaching of, of God's word where we're really bad. But we want to think of ourselves as good. The problem is we're having a hard time convincing ourselves because we know the secrets of our thoughts. We know the heart and the tensions. We know the evilness. We, we innately know we lost it all. And the best we can do is moralism. Just try to patch it up, patch it up, patch it up and think I'm, I'm not as bad as some people. But as long as I can think of myself as good, then I think, you know, therefore I'm pretty valuable. But let me tell you what happens. When we realize that we are bad, we kind of dip into reality and we see in the world, we see that we're not good. Then we have to say, Oh, I'm not good. I'm not good. I, I, I guess I don't have much value. Let me tell you what the believer does. Those that embrace the gospel, you know what they say? If they really understand the authentic gospel, they say, I'm bad. I know I'm bad. But guess what? I'm extremely valuable. Extremely valuable. Really? Yeah. By the way, the score one to zero, Christian against the world. We got, we got the victory there. Bad, even in the midst of good, we know we're valuable if we know the truth. Or contrast it this way. The people of the world, when they do see themselves as bad and then bad things happen to them, I mean, 
you know, cancer comes, this or whatever, loss of a loved one, whatever it is. When bad things happen, man, they start kicking themselves. Gosh, why did I, I deserve that. Look how bad I am. Look, no, no wonder. No wonder God does this to me. Look what I've done. But you know what's so interesting is when they see themselves as good, though they're not, and bad things happen to them, that's when they kick God. That's when they kick at God. They say, God, that's not right. That's not fair. You're not loving. I deserve better than this. I'm a good person. How can you let that happen? Now, take the Christian who really understands the gospel. The Christian says, hey, I'm bad, and I understand that, but you know what? I'm just experiencing some bad things in life. And here's what I know about that. I know that God allows bad things to happen to me. And I even invite bad things through the bad things that I do sometimes. I do invite them by consequences. But regardless, yes or no, when bad things happen to me, I understand that God allows bad things to happen to me in order that in time good things can happen in me in order that ultimately eternal things can actually happen through me. So I'm okay with that too. Bad things do happen, but I'm going to have to say I'm not going to kick at God because I know God's going to actually use that. I am so valuable that God's going to use that even in my own life. Believer, we're up 2-0 now. We've won the game. If we could walk through life and just simply embrace the gospel teaching on our value as these parables are just screaming at us saying, look, do you not understand? You're the one that's out there that's lost and you're the one that he is searching for. It's God who's searching and he is so willing to search. He will even sacrifice his son for you. And by the way, not just sacrifice, but when, when you finally come into the fold, you're worthy of him celebrating as the perfect one over you the fallible one coming home. That is important. That's amazing. That'll change the way you live your life. Just believing that. Here's the point. The bottom line, we, Christian, we matter to God. If we believe that, healthy life. We don't believe that, don't look for much healthy Christian living. We matter to God. How do we know that we matter? Well, just look at the text. Look how God searched for us. Look how God celebrates our coming home. Look how God gives us a kiss of forgiveness when we've done nothing to earn it. Look how the sandals of freedom have been put on our feet. Look at the robe of honor that we wear. Look at the ring of inheritance he's given us that says, heirs with Christ meaning that we are on the level of Christ in terms of God's love for us, not because of what we've done, but because of his righteousness. It's 2 Corinthians 5. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Don't tell me when bad things happen. As a Christian, when bad things happen, don't tell me that God is not good. Please don't say, well, this is not fair. Don't ever have the thought, you know what, I deserve better than this. Not so at all. 
We're the one that's out and lost. We lost it all and he comes pursuing us. Why? Because we matter to God. You that are young people, you kids, don't buy the lie of the world. I know what the world's saying, and it's saying, look, you're not stacking up, you're not as this, you're not as much, you should have, you did, did, did. and you're thinking the only way I'm going to get attention, the only way people are going to love me is if I break out of the mold and do something like they would do, live like they live, think like they think. Don't believe that stuff. If you can believe the one reality that you matter to God, let me tell you, you'll walk right through the midst of them, and you'll say, you know, it'd be fun, it'd be nice to be able, but let me tell you, I'm a child of the king, I'm okay. That's what happens. And that's the mindset that every one of us have got to have. We've got to get away as Christians from kicking at God and embracing the lie that comes to us. It says, you know what, the truth of it is, is, you know, this really isn't right. And I don't understand why God would do this to me and it's not really fair. And I wish, I mean, all that says is you don't get the gospel. That we lost it. And what we have is so valuable regardless of what happens in this world. In the lifetime we can spend, there's nothing bad enough that can happen that won't make us stand as the most blessed of all people. That is what he's trying to teach us in the gospel in this particular parable. These parables are just there to say, we just want you to know, Jesus said, I want you to know how extremely valuable you are. I love the way Tim Keller says it in his book. He says, this is the God who can hold the universe in his hand Yet, if his people aren't rejoicing, he's not rejoicing. That is incredible. You see, this Jesus is not just a savior. This Jesus is the slain lamb of God. This Jesus that we worship, he's not merely the father in the parable. He's not just the father. This Jesus is also the elder brother, but the perfect elder brother. This Jesus is all of this he is to us because of immeasurable grace. So in closing, would you like to have that immeasurable grace? Christian, would, would you like to have a, a greater abundance, an experience of the grace of God in a much greater way? Would you want that? And you that are seekers, well, if this is true, you're the lost one, would you want to come home? Would you want to say, hey, I want to taste this immeasurable grace of a father that would kiss me and forgive me and love me and accept me even though I'm sinful and keep doing that forever? Do you want that? If you do, you find it at the cross. If you can't believe all these other things, well, look at the search and look at the this and look at that. Just look at the cross. Anyone that would give his son to bleed and die to be separated from him, the Father, just so that he can rescue us, that is love. And you see that no better than at the cross. And then you begin to realize the Romans 8.32, that he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Let me tell you, that's pretty special. Pretty special. So would you like that grace? I love the way A.W. Tozer put it. I don't know if you're familiar with A.W. Tozer. One of the, he's now been with the Lord for many years. But this guy, man, do I love him. I, I read him now nearly every day. I have for months now. Just I read a little bit of him every day. And this is something I came across just this week as I was, this last week as I was 
thinking about this sermon. This just hit so hard. He says, if you want to know this immeasurable grace, which is where I come up with the word immeasurable grace. When I read that, I said, that's it. It's immeasurable and it is grace. This overwhelming, astounding kindness of God, I have to step under the shadow of the cross. I must come where God releases grace. I must either look forward to it or I must look back at it. I must look one way or the other to that cross where Jesus died. Grace flowed out of his wounded side. There it is. Next week, we close the series. The series finally comes to an end. Nine weeks. I, this has been a, a help to me just to have to feed on this every day. I hope it's been for you, but we're going to have a closure. I think that's going to be a very special one because it's going to include the table. And we're going to look at the third description, and this is the third description. Those who enjoy the story enjoy living in the security of, the fa of their father's house. So if you'd like to understand a little bit about what it's like to live in the security of your father's house and would love to either watch the table because you're not yet there for the table or better yet, if you are a believer and say, I'm ready for the table to be able to take it as we wrap around this theme of the wonder of our God. That's how we'll end our series. Now, as I close in prayer, we're going to leave this place in just minutes afterwards. And I'm going to say, particularly young people, but all of us, let's walk up with our heads high. If a Christian, you walk out with a high self-esteem. And don't you dare believe any thinking that, you know what, look at me. Look how little money I make. Look how little that, look how that, look how, no. You just walk out and say, child of the king, I matter to God. And I'm telling you that should be good enough. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we do pray that we would be a people that see how much we do matter to you, a great and loving, wonderful God. And forgive us, Father, where we've kicked at you, where we've literally blamed you and thought less of you because of what happens to us. God, we are sorry that we've not embraced the truth and thank you for uh, this clarity of truth that we get in these gospels and we pray through these parables that we might embrace and understand and walk out of here with great esteem, with our chins held so high, just believing and knowing we're yours. That's good enough. So thank you for your love. Let us see the cross. May we fall more and more in love with you. If we've never come to know you, even now, Father, would you pierce hearts and dwell hearts as they see your love and may they find newness. And may they live even as we look next week in the presence of your home. We thank you for all. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day. Thank you.